Living Wisely, Living Well, December 28th. Direct energy consciously into everything you do. Remember, energy has its own intelligence and responds willingly to proper guidance. It can make things happen for you that you yourself could not have even planned. Now here is a really super interesting (laughs) statement. Um, putting out energy is kind of a phrase that is has a certain meaning in the context of the Ananda culture. What Swami Kriyananda has done in creating the Ananda communities is he's, he's created really a whole alternate society um, based on the idea that self-realization is the goal of life and that these principles of Sanatana Dharma are the principles by which we should live. So over many years I've been in in community since 1971, which is essentially all of my adult life, um, and continue to live in community. There's a lot of um, cultural norms about Ananda that uh, those of us who've been here a long time just take for granted. Because I was a founding member of the first Ananda community and also helped found the second community, I've actually had to put my mind to what are the elements of Ananda culture, trying to bring people into a way of understanding, a way of life that is not, it parallels ordinary society, so to speak, in that we can pass for normal, most of us. But nonetheless, there are still a a great many ideals and principles that are not widely understood, that are just second nature to us. And this statement, energy has its own intelligence. Has he said that? How does he put it? Yes, exactly that. Energy has its own intelligence is an aphorism that has a vast uh, panorama of implications that are very dynamic once we get a hold of them. Because sometimes people think that if I don't have an exact plan, if I don't know what's going to happen in five years, if I haven't have my action items all in order, I, I can't do anything or I shouldn't do anything until I know everything that's going to happen. But oftentimes, that kind of conscientious thinking can become actually paralyzing because we may not really be able in a certain circumstance to um, know all of those things. And so we end up essentially doing nothing. Um, And then, if we do nothing, there's no energy flow. And if there's no energy flow, there's no force to enlighten to to enlighten us, to awaken a higher intuition, to spark new creative ideas, or to change the magnetism of the whole situation. So one of the principles that we at Ananda have learned to work with is simply to put, we say the phrase, put out good energy. And if, if even if you don't know exactly where that energy is going, if what you're doing um, and Swami put it in a different way. I'm going to interrupt slightly here. He wrote uh, a book called The Art of Supportive Leadership, which is a small book and a wonderful, just a wonderful um, summary of what it is to be a good leader. And at a certain point, he talks about how, how sometimes decision-making gets paralyzed, either because there's too many people involved or there's too much focus on the problems. And he says sometimes any action short of absolute madness is better than more indecision. And it's based on this principle that energy has its own intelligence. 
So sometimes, even if we don't know exactly where the energy is going, it, it's almost like a sign to the universe that I'm going to do my part and I'm going to find a way to contribute my creative life force to this. And I'm going to assume that once I get in motion, energy has its own intelligence. And, and I love the way Swami puts it. It will make things happen for you <clears throat> that you yourself could not anticipate. <clears throat> and I know that that may sound a bit, uh, well, I don't, it's not counterintuitive, but it's, it's not completely rational. But once you get into it, you'll really see it's true. I'll give you a very unusual example. Here in Palo Alto, we have a beautiful self-realization temple. It, it used to be a Catholic church. It was built, it's, it, the building is, is, is built in the 19, 1950s, so it's not a new building. But it, it's beautifully constructed and it's a, a wonderful design. It's, it was a, the sort of the, the simple Franciscan design. Um, our builders who've had to make some amendments believe it was constructed probably with a lot of volunteer workers who were, or at least workers who were part of the church because it's over-constructed. You know, it was built <clears throat> It was built with the idea that this is a church. We're doing it for Jesus. It's going to last a long time. All these really wonderful things about it. <clears throat> we... <clears throat> We um, purchased that church in 1994, but from 1987 until 94, we had a, a, a suite of offices, an office suite of several rooms, I mean, not a suite of offices, but a suite with several rooms, which included a large room which we used as our sanctuary. It was just about two blocks away from this church, so it was very convenient on both sides when we moved. Um, and it was too small, and it was inadequate. We actually thought we'd get a church, an actual church building much sooner than we did. And we had outgrown the space, and nothing was happening in our finding an appropriate church to buy. We looked at several properties, but just nothing was happening. It's not like we had a fat bank account, but we had enough money and enough support that we knew we could make it happen. And finally, we made a decision, oddly, to expand the, the, the suite that we were in, specifically the sanctuary, the building behind the wall, the room behind the wall became available. So we spent some few thousands of dollars to take out the wall, to redesign, to do what was needed, to make the sanctuary bigger. Because we needed to keep expanding. We knew our expansion was to move into a building, but finding a building was blocked. So we put out energy to expand and improve what we were doing in the only way that was open to us. And within a few months, the church that we bought became available to us. Now, you could easily say that was coincidence, but I don't think it was. I think it was we needed to put out energy. And that church, which we'd been looking at all the time, it, um, it just we, we'd heard this rumor. We'd heard the rumor, you know, eight years earlier that the Catholics were going to sell off some of their properties. But it just, it was never, it was never an option until after we put out the energy to expand where we were sitting. So that was just one small example, but I can think of countless ones where I just don't know what to do and I find some way to put some positive energy into the situation, whether it's going and talking to people or writing letters or 
doing some peripheral project that is somehow related. But as soon as energy begins to flow, with that energy comes new ideas. It, this, this is also true just in general about like personal decisions where we don't quite have the intuition to know what we should do. When I first moved to Ananda village, I moved because I met Swami Kriyananda. And I had a... Um, I had an instant intuitive recognition of Swamiji, an instant intuitive appreciation of his spiritual stature, which never shifted from November of 69 to as I sit here in this moment, including 45 years of very close association with him. Never. It just never shifted. It was, he was always the same to me, which was this basically infinite field of consciousness. But when I met him, I had not read Autobiography of a Yogi. I was not committed to Paramhansa Yogananda, which is uh, Swami Kriyananda is a direct disciple, and Yogananda's teaching and discipleship to him is the backbone of Ananda. I had been uh, brought to the path by Sri Ramakrishna, who was also a great avatar, who lived in the 1800s in India, and his great disciple Vivekananda, Um, I never met any of them personally, of course, because they were off the planet before I was born. But through their teachings and through their presence, Ramakrishna's presence was extremely real to me as these great masters transcend time and space. Swami Kriyananda's presence is as real to me now as it was when he was in the body. It comes to me slightly differently, but not really all that differently. He doesn't walk around and talk. I can't cook him lunch. I can't serve him tea. But the communication... The, the non-physical communication, which was always the heart of the relationship, is unchanged. So when, I, when, it, it, when the opportunity came for me to move to live where Kriyananda was, to learn from him, I, I, was absolutely, I absolutely knew that that's what I should do. But there was this problem, and it was really an issue. What was my relationship to Yogananda? How did that, what did I do about Ramakrishna, whom I had considered to be I never took initiation, but he was my he was my link to God. And all of a sudden, I was moving into a situation where I would have to shift my loyalty. The fact was, I had no idea how to resolve any of it. Absolutely no idea. And I knew that if I was going to commit myself to a life at Ananda, it would have to be resolved. But I knew the reason I couldn't sort it out is because I didn't have a, a sufficiently refined intuition to perceive a reality that was beyond my rational mind to reach. And if I did nothing, waiting for that intuition to come clear, I wouldn't be doing anything that would help me develop intuition. So I had to move in some way to keep expanding, which was the same principle that we were working with with the temple. I had to keep expanding my own consciousness because only in expanding my consciousness could I answer the unanswerable question? So I essentially said, I know I should live where, where Swami Kriyananda is living. And the question of Ramakrishna, Yogananda, and all of that, I sort of said, I leave it to you guys to sort out. I sort of brought them both in front of me and said, you know, somehow this is your problem. And I know that you understand it and I don't. And then I just committed myself to what was in front of me. I just, I lived as if there were no questions in my mind. And there weren't. Because being with Swami Kriyananda, there was no question. So I just was with him and I followed everything he said. Like a year after I had settled in 
to Ananda. I literally woke up one morning and said, well, of course I belong to Yogananda. How could I not? How could I have this relationship with Swamiji without also belonging to Yogananda? And there was no, there's no rivalry among the masters. That's a very human projection. Ramakrishna took care of me until he could deliver me to Swamiji, basically. It was just crystal clear to me. And I couldn't figure out why I'd ever even been confused. Because I had put out energy. Energy has its own intelligence. And that intelligence gradually enlightened me. And took me to a place I could never have planned. I couldn't have made that come out as well as it came out by any method other than the one I was following. So I really encourage you, every time you face any kind of a difficulty that you can't quite figure out what to do with, put out good energy in a a general direction of where you're trying to go and, and put out really good energy. Figure out something to do and the energy will take you. It will take you places just as Swami says that you couldn't have planned yourself. So direct energy consciously into everything you do. Remember, energy has its own intelligence and responds willingly to proper guidance. It can make things happen for you that you yourself could, could not have even planned. Joy to you, my friends.